Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. Ryan Miller, or Frizy as he is known, has been one of the best and most consistent age groups in Australia since he started the sport 10 years ago. Five Kona appearances, a podium at the World Champs in 2022, always a feature at the front end of the age group field, an Ironman PB in the eight hour range, and a sub four hour 70.3 PB. This man knows how to race. We dive deep into his approach to training and racing. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper. Welcome, Ryan. Should I call you Ryan or Frizy? Oh, mate, it's, uh, it's always been Ryan, but I think everyone knows me as Frizy, so it's probably easier for Frizy. <laughs> All right, we'll go with Frizy. How's the weather in Noosa today? Mate, it's a balmy 25 degrees today, a little bit windy, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not feeling like winter. I don't, I don't think you can complain when you, when you live in Noosa. <laughs> no, mate, I think you've experienced a little bit of the weather recently, and um, yeah, we get it pretty lucky up here, that's for sure. I did. Very nice indeed. Now, we want to really understand you, your life and your training, but be honest with me here, which is your career highlight so far, outrunning me at Challenge Melbourne in the pissing rain in 2016 or being a guest on this podcast? Oh, mate, they're both up there very high, but um, probably been a, best, a guest on this podcast because I vow, vowed um, never to do a race in Victoria again after that race. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty rough, wasn't it? It was, right. but... I've, uh, I've since been back there, mate. So, no, nah, it's a lovely spot down there, but it was a, uh, a bad day. <laughs> For sure. All right, that's enough clowning around. Let's get into the training and racing. What's coming up next for you? Um, yeah, good question. I uh, still sort of um, got a busy sort of schedule just work-wise in the next few weeks, but um, just got back from Europe and my last race over in Roth. So, still sort of planning out the season. Um, yeah, as we sort of had a bit of a chat off there, Got uh, Ironman World Champs coming up in a couple of weeks, just going over there to work with uh, the company I work with, Win Republic. And um, so after that, I'll probably sit down and really nut it out, but hoping to do a full distance, if not late this year, if pretty early next year to try to lock away a Kona spot just to uh, concentrate on that for next year. Cool. So what training have you done slash will you do today, noting that it's a Thursday afternoon as we record this? Thursday afternoon, yeah. Well, I've uh, already been out for a uh, a longish sort of bike ride this morning, and then um, just just finished work. So I would normally do another session in the afternoon. So haven't uh, haven't quite got there yet. Might try to get on the bike for a double bike a little bit later today. But this time of the year, it's more about just uh, building a bit of a an aerobic base and trying to get a bit of fitness back after after a little bit of an extended holiday in Europe. Very nice. Now we'll talk more about training in a minute, but. Let's uh, let's talk about Roth. How did how did that go? You mentioned that was your last race. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, look, Roth, it's uh it's an amazing experience and definitely one you should uh, put on your list if you're thinking about it. It uh, definitely lived up to the hype. Um, unfortunately, probably wasn't the race, or definitely wasn't the race I was after. Um, I was probably in 
some of the best shape I've been in uh, about six six weeks out. And then, um, unfortunately, I was just riding up the coast after the Tuesday morning bunchy here in Noosa. I was going home to run off. So I normally try to get a, a 100K ride out and and sort of a hard 10K off and was probably in the last little section coming up the coast and a car turned in front of me and uh, with with no warning and and I've sort of gone straight into the side of the car and over the handlebars and ended up on the ground and had a bit of an injury from that. So I, uh, I got a bit of a separation of the AC joint. Um, I was pretty lucky. You've got great friends and, and, um, and, and just support up here and got straight into uh, sports doctor. And I was at hospital the next day getting scans and tests and, and sort of sussed out what the injury was, but, yeah, I had a had a grade two tear of the AC joint separation there, and then uh, a VMO contusion of the knee. And there was saying scan on the scans a um, a grade two MCL tear, but I, I don't think the the sports doc said that that wasn't um, wasn't what he he looked at when he uh, he looked into the the injury. But yeah, the scans told a different story. So. Yeah, it sort of interrupted the prep going into it, and um, and obviously affected me on race day. But um, yeah, all in all, it was uh, it's still an amazing race, and and one I'd love to go back and probably have a real crack at. How far out from the race was was the little incident accident? Um, it would have been, I think, it was about uh, five weeks, five four weeks. Yeah, so it was right at the big time when I was getting some a lot of work done and. Um, a very important time of the build hadn't started the taper yet, but um, really threw a spanner in the works. Like I was in a sling uh, to the point where um, my partner Ash had to help me put my shoes on in the morning. I couldn't even really get dressed myself. So I thought I was no chance of racing. So, but it's amazing what the body can do. And, and I really went into recovery mode and, and, and trying everything. I'm lucky to have good facilities up here and, things like steam room and, uh, and that at, at my house here. So, um, jumped into that and just did everything right to recover. But I think the body got right again. It was only, uh, two weekends after, I think I, I could still get out and do a, a one, one eighty K bike. And I think I did 10 milers off the bike at a, at a pretty hard pace. And I thought, yeah, okay, I might be okay here, but yeah, spent the afternoon on painkillers had a at a function that we had to go to and and probably just didn't realize how much um yeah how much it still took out of me even just to do that session so unfortunately it uh didn't come around on race day i had an okay swim considering i was out of the water for two weeks and still can't really sleep on one side of my shoulder um so and then the bike ride wasn't too bad but then yeah just in the run i was laying on the ground and and um trying to free up my back and 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 the knee come on a fair bit on the run so you know I st- still went under that sub nine and stuff but um yeah just not the day i was hoping for and not the day it was set up for coming off the bike but um yeah so anyway i learned a lot of lessons from it and and um yeah moved on from it yeah that's pretty bad luck let's let's skip past that then and let's focus <laughs> on the positives of the roth experience um, can you tell us just about that and maybe, I don't know, maybe pick two or three like really standout things that are very specific to Roth? Yeah, look, I, I suppose it's um, just the quality of 
um, racing over there is a big one. Like I, I love testing myself against the, the best of the best and, and you probably just don't realize um, just, you know, how far our sports come unless you go racing Europe and, and you see some of these age groupers and pros for that matter. Like, you know, everyone was just on that day and riding fast and, and, you know, the technology and setup. And then, you know, Roth is renowned for just looking after the athletes crowd and just atmosphere and, you know, like I think we, we went in the sub nine um, wave, so we weren't far off the the pro women at the start. So, you know, that first lap of the bike, you know, we we're probably a few minutes behind them going up um, Solar Hill. And that was just incredible. I've, I've played footy in front of some big crowds and, and, um, and been in some pretty big arenas and things, but to, to ride up that hill, it's probably a sporting memory I'll never forget. And probably to this day, I don't think we'll top, um, yeah, riding up there and then, um, yeah, and then just obviously if it was probably any other race, I, I don't think I would have finished, but because it was Roth, I just, um, yeah, did everything I could to get through it because I just knew that finish line was so special and just wanted to honour the race really and um, and get out of it what I could. Yeah, cool. And um, tell us about that sub nine wave. I think that's quite a unique experience for Roth and it's certainly not common around the world. Um, I only learned about it recently. I think you told me about it actually. So there's a sub nine wave and then there's an incentive for going sub nine, isn't it? Isn't there? Yeah, it's um it's a really good as I said, the challenge is all for the athletes and and you know, it's probably a race I've always wanted to do, but because of Kona, it's very hard timing, one time zone traveling over to Roth and then coming back and you know, it would affect the Kona prep. So it was a perfect opportunity with no Kona this year to um to do it and when I learn about that wave and then the incentive of, you know, you go sub nine and you pretty much get your money back or it's, you know, a, a thousand euro or something. It's um, yeah, it's just so, so rewarding that you, you know, you're racing for more than just um, yeah, just a, a finishes towel and a medal and stuff. And it's, it certainly helped me through. I remember laying on the ground on the run, trying to stretch my back out and I'm going like, this is embarrassing. I'm going to go over 10 hours here. I've, you know, I've come over to Roth thinking I'm in the sub nine and I'm laying on the ground, but then I was lucky to have um, my partner Ash run out to me. She's seen that the, the splits dropped on the, on the tracker and, and run out painkillers because you're allowed outside assistance in, um, in Roth because there is no special needs. So had some painkillers and she goes, you're still on track for sub nine. I've gone like how I've been laying on the ground like three or four times on this run how am I even under sub nine? But anyway, that was a last little incentive. I knew we were going, uh, going on a little European holiday after that. So I certainly wanted to get over the line under the sub nine to uh, to get the money back. So that was uh, a pretty good incentive. Yeah, nothing like some dollars to uh, or euros <laughs> to to um, give you the incentive you need. Now, yes. that probably gives people a bit of a glimpse if they don't know much about you, the, the level of athlete you are to have dodgy shoulder, dodgy knee, dodgy back and still go sub nine. But we'll touch on that a little bit more later on. Um, now, let's pan out a little bit and get to know you a little bit better. Can you give us a brief brief athletic history leading up to this point and, and where you got involved in endurance sport? You mentioned playing footy, in, footy AFL in front of some big crowds. So can you, you know, piece it all together for us, please? Yeah, for sure. I'll try to keep it short because I, I know it's, it's normally pros you're listening to and you're really interested about their backstory, but uh, probably just a washed up age grouper, you probably don't want to know too much about the uh, the backlog, but pretty much I grew up in Wagga Wagga. Um, did a lot of AFL football 
um, as a young kid. Got into triathlons um, quite heavily up until just that point where you could start to see you go one way or the other and, and you know, I was training a fair bit, but then, you know, a job had to come into it or, or you go full-time training and then football come into it. There was a little bit of money in country football, not a lot, but certainly a lot more than triathlon. And, um, yeah, so just sort of um, I really love triathlon, but I just didn't really see a future in it. So I love team sports and I, I don't regret playing team sports. I loved it. It certainly um, built some character and some and some good mates along the way. Um, yeah, played football up until would have been about 2015. We were in the Canberra League playing state footy um, under Wagga Tigers and playing against some, you know, sides in the Canberra League that uh, – a pretty good league and Sydney Swans come into it. So you play reserve grade against Sydney Swans. And then I was training uh, while I was doing that, I was training for the Noosa try. And I just sort of like, you, know, you used to base footy off how well you played was how sore you were. And if you could train on a Monday, Tuesday, and of course that's not really good for triathlon. I remember as I was getting closer to the Noosa event, I had everything booked and I just didn't really want to get injured. And I really love getting fitter and fitter, but not, getting so sore on a Monday, Tuesday where you, you couldn't run and you had to rehab until Wednesday and then you go out and do it all again on the weekend. So I come up to Noosa, did the Noosa try and loved it. And we had such a good group in Wagga Wagga. Um, it's a, it's an amazing sporting town. And I think there was about 20 people the following year. So that would have been 14. I think so it was 2015, about 20 people doing Port Macquarie Ironman. And I said, Oh, come up and do the Ironman. And I said, yeah, look, I, I want to do one. I'll tick it off the bucket list. And, get it done so anyway went up to Port Macquarie and did that race and thought I'd be one and done and yeah I was sort of hooked from then and yeah the rest is history I was I I sort of gave footy away it was very hard I I love football but I um just had a bit of a passion for the sport and just wanted to really uh pursue that side of things and try to get the uh times down as much as possible and how did you go in that first Port Macquarie Ironman? So was that was that a jump from Noosa Tri, which is an Olympic distance, straight up to Port Macquarie, or were there lead-in races? And then I yeah, tell us about the day at Port Macquarie and how you went in that first Ironman outing. I think I did one seventy point three before that. It might have been Canberra back before they um, when it was still Ironman. Yeah, and um, so I did that and uh, as a bit of a train train training lead up, and then went to. Um, port with a group of friends and I know I really had no idea I was trained by a good mate and had good friends doing it and Brad Carter felt um, and then did the yeah I think there, there was a group of, of us that did it and I think three or four of us got a spot for Kona and you know I was a bit naive I always used to watch Kona on the TV Daryl East like you hear these stories all the time and go, I'm going to do that one day and you know it was great it's, it's sort of got more coverage back then than it does now and I was watching Wild Water Sports on a Sunday and I'm going, yeah, this race is for me on a Zucona. And I went to Port Mac and I didn't understand that all the guys go like, no, you, you've got to qualify and it's very difficult. And, you know, it's, it's the time's got to be good. And, you know, if you go sub 10, you, you know, you, you, you're a pretty good athlete and, you know, it's a, it's a big goal. A lot of the guys were trying to go sub 10 and, yeah, I think I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think, you know, I just had a really, really good day. I think we prepared really well for it. I conserved all day. I actually had conserve written on my hand and um, I just sort of found a niche. I think I, uh, everyone was saying to me, oh, you, you'll get to the run and you'll, you'll hit that, um, you'll hit the wall at 30 and, and it's just a battle. And 
I just got to the run and I just smiled and enjoyed it. And I'm running and every every time someone see me off the road, they go like, you just didn't stop smiling all day. But I actually really love that pain and that hurt. And I didn't hit the wall. And I think I come in around, oh, it must have been a nine, if it nine twelve or nine fifteen or something. And I think I come top ten overall. I think it might have been ninth overall and either first or second in the age group and and yeah and got a spot for Kona and yeah and after that I just went like oh this is this is what I want to do yeah that'll do it getting getting to Kona and realizing you well getting to the race having a good experience realizing you're pretty good at it and then getting getting to go to Kona that's a that's a pretty handy handy debut so you said that you prepared really well. Do you remember any any of the specifics or the, the key parts of your training that you uh, were doing leading into that race? As I said, back then we had a really good group. I think it was just consistency. Like, you know, it wasn't like it is now and, and you know, all this data and, and you know, all these extra little things and stuff. But it was just, it was just good, hard, old-fashioned training. Um and, you know, back in the day too, like training for this in Wagga, like you'd have some days where, you know, it sounds ridiculous now. And probably one of the main reasons, I mean, I live in Noosa is uh, we'd go for rides and and your drink bottle would freeze. It was that cold, like <laughs> out on these long rides. And and I used to just think that was normal. And, and I hated the cold. It was one reason why I probably stopped playing football. But here I was at five o'clock in the morning riding out near along the river in, in the country. And, you know, I'd have four layers on and cling wrap around my shoes under my under my socks and but you just probably spent that much energy burning that much energy trying to keep warm plus you were training plus you were doing all this it was just um i think we got to port and i just loved the the sun and and not being freezing cold and and just to to race on race day so yeah i think that that first sort of little build and don't get me wrong there's there's massive credit to uh uh, to Brad, who who got us to the line, he, he coached a few of us. His brother as well did it, and um, yeah, and and we certainly got a lot of knowledge out of that, and and um, took that through into the Kona prep, which was obviously very difficult. Living in Wagga as well, um, I remember going from, um, you know, it was a Wednesday morning running in two degrees in Wagga to like, you know, uh, two days later being in Kona in thirty five degrees and hundred percent humidity, and you go like okay it's uh it's a it's on here it's a bit of a different race so yeah it made it challenging yeah nowadays you you do you rug up to do your heat prep in preparation for Kona but you were just rugging up in Wagga just to survive <laughs> exactly exactly and then uh, I got softer as, as I went on and, and did a lot more training indoors and whatnot but oh look I also worked at a um a pretty studied art gym facility there which i helped look after for a number of years and and that was massive in the early days for my kind of prep where you know we had steam rooms and ice bars and hyperbaric chambers and things and and that certainly helped me with um being a little bit of ahead of the game especially back in those early days when it probably wasn't much talked about and you know it, it just become a natural thing that we had to do to even compete going from i think all aussies have got a bit of a um um I, I suppose it's a little bit harder going from our winter straight over to, to Kona. It's the race is built around the Americans and, and coming off their summer. But um yeah, but it just made for a challenge and it's just what makes Kona so special, I think. Yep. And how do you know how that first Kona went? Like obviously your first Ironman was a pretty positive experience. Was did that carry over to Kona? 
Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Like I think the first one, I just got so many horror stories and, you know, and I, I love watching the wide water sports and you see these people just collapsing on the side of the road and ambulances and stuff. And so I really probably conserved that first year in Kona and it's probably my slowest Ironman to date. I think it is. I think it was like, wasn't, I think it was like around a 930 um, so I think I got like maybe top 15 or 20 in the age group. And then, um, I just loved it. I just remembered running on the queen K and it was 35 degrees. It was one of the hottest, I think in 2015, I remember, um, I work a little bit with tri travel and the tri travel crew were there. And I think they cracked an egg out on the queen K and, and they actually fried the egg on the road. It was that hot. And, um, it was just a brutal year and I remember running into the energy lab and I had goosebumps because I was just like, I've seen this on TV. I, I dreamt about it. And and that's when I just go like, okay, I uh, finished the race and I go and I've got to get back here. I can go faster than that. I've ticked it off. I've paid my respect and, and, um, and finished. I said, now it's time to come back and compete. So yeah, I've been trying to work it out ever since. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like that. So <laughs> you touched on it. Um, you got to that point, you've done your first try, you've given up team sports, done your first 70.3, first Ironman, qualified for Kona, all going pretty well up until that point. So where can you tell us a little bit about that phase from that first Kona and really wanting to get back there and continue to improve and try and crack the code, so to speak, up until the point where you're at now? Yeah, I suppose... Um... It, it just comes down, I suppose anyone in the sport has got a little bit of an addictive personality and, and it just went from, you know, from that to just really researching and just testing the limits. So I, I was lucky to be surrounded by some really good people and and I think I went to Busso that same year. As soon as I got back, I wanted to qualify again, qualified for Kona in Busso. Um, and then since then have just been like, would do a race, qualify, go back to Kona, do a race, qualify and go back to Kona. And and my main focus was just around um was just around Kona and getting back there. I'd do 70.3s as a lead up. Um and then as I said, I was working at a gym in Wagga where I had um amazing facilities with a steam room. I, I sort of started to take not to it well, I didn't think it was extremes, but like it would shut the steam room down and ice bath to clean it and stuff. And and then so I'd wheel a spin bike in there and turn the steam room on and I'd sit in the steam room and do a session in there and then we'd bring in kettlebells and and do kettlebells in there and strength stuff and then into the ice bath. And then at lunchtime, instead of going home, I'd go and sleep. We had a hyperbaric chamber there as well, um, which was just amazing. Like, you know, the the whole, it, as I said, it was a little bit ahead of its time in, in Wagga at the time. Obviously, there's a lot more information about hyperbaric chambers and whatnot, but just increasing um, that oxygen in your in your blood and an hour and that is like four hours quality sleep. It, uh, AFL clubs and things have used it for soft tissue injuries. They say it can sometimes heal soft tissue injuries, you know, by 50%. And um, yeah, so I just really took it to the next level was doing all that, but I sort of had to because, you know, we were in Wagga. I didn't have, you know, I'm training for it in the 25 meter indoor pool. Um, I didn't have, um, I suppose the people around me in the middle of winter, everyone's taking it easy. And, and I was trying to train for Kona and trying to do 180k rides in the middle of winter and no one would do it. So I would just get on the kicker indoors, put the heater on and just and do it by myself. And um, so that just, I suppose, just 
um, instill that mentality of just you, you, you just got to get the work done because no one's going to be there to to do it for you. And then as it progressed, I think, um, yeah, I was just doing everything I could to um, to get better and obviously led to different things and opportunities to come up to Noosa and, and you know, it wasn't just about sport. It was more about lifestyle and just where I was with sport and work and whatnot. But, um, yeah, just th- then come up here and, and to be able to swim in squads and, and to have the people around up here that same mindset and and instead of probably saying you're crazy up here they're joining you and stuff so um that really helped with um yeah with with building the uh desire just to to get better and better and and eventually led into you know coaching and things as well I, I never went into the sport to want to coach or um and I said sort of no to coaching for for a lot of the time um, but I think just after the years and years of people seeing me working, racing, doing Kona, um, I used to say I, I haven't got the qualifications and stuff. But then um, year on year, I suppose people just wanted to know what I was doing and and um, and, and that led into a different path as well. Uh, what what year did you go to, to move up to Noosa? Um, so it was right before the pandemic. So um, 2021, I think we moved up in january february i think the last draw was the year that year before i was training for kona and wagga and as i said i've tried everything to be as best i could be and you know i was just like on on a real low carb sort of diet like really pushing the limits and it was i remember it was freezing cold and i did a kicker set and um then got really sick and laid on the ground and got back up and got on the bike and finished it off with the run off the bike. And then the next morning I was freezing cold in bed and ended up in hospital. And I think I was in hospital for a week. It was six weeks out from Kona and lost seven kilos, had a viral infection that they still don't know what it was. I think it was just the immune system so low and, and just pushing so hard in, in some of the, some of the conditions. And I was just going like, oh, I need to, uh, I need a change of scenery. I need to get up to the heat. So uh, that and a few other little things pushed us up this way to Noosa. So I think uh, after five years or six years of preparing for races in, uh, in the height of winter, I just gone like, yeah, I need some, uh, some more regular sunshine. Yeah. Well, that's definitely pushing the limits. I think. (laughs) Uh, So how many years in a row did you go? Ironman qualify Kona. Ironman qualify Kona. Do you, do you remember? Uh, pretty much it's pretty much every year since 2015 I think the other years I missed is obviously the year that it was COVID and then the next year um, I was qualified for Kona and then it's um, and I was just and was still racing Kona but then they brought in the St George year so um, I decided instead of racing here I'd go over and do St George as a warm up race for Kona that year, and I think went over to St George, and I think I got second place in the age group, went top ten age group overall, and then had the Kona that next year. So I've only really missed one Kona, I think, since two thousand and fifteen. Pretty much done every. That's probably why it was a bit upsetting this year when we just didn't even get the opportunity to go there. You know, you sort of, and not that it's all about that one race, but it's um. 
yeah, for me, I probably haven't got so many more years left in the sport at pushing that level. And yeah, it was just very disappointing that this year it just uh, wasn't an opportunity for the for the men to race there this year. Iron Man should have consulted you because it affected your streak. <laughs> exactly right. Man. Of them. Yeah, they, they didn't. Uh, they didn't think about us, unfortunately. <laughs> oh well, thanks for the backstory and some of the insights there. Like you're essentially one of the best and most consistent age groupers in Australia. Being a Kona, you know, multiple years, year on year, Ironman PB in the mid eight hours, I believe, sub four hours, seventy point three, regularly on the podiums in your age group. This might be a bit of a cliche question and you've touched on a few reasons as to why you might have been successful. But if you had to identify, you know, a handful of things that have been a key part of your success, what would what would they be? Um, yeah, I suppose the the biggest thing is um is just consistency. You know, like I, I always tell athletes I try to help out or um or or you just see with um pros or high level age groupers that go really well is they're just consistent. They just don't have off seasons and things like, and I know I'm all for having downtime and things, but I think it's just become a way of life. Like um, you'll see some people and they'll have an off season and they might put three or four kilos on and, and do nothing. And uh, I think it's the ones that, um, you know, you don't have to go out and ride every Saturday or run long, but I think by just being active and, and not really having those down times where you do nothing. Like even on holidays, it's it's nothing to get up and go for a 10K run. I think it's the best way to see a new um, environment or place. And, um, yeah, I think that's just been ingrained in me now. And and you, you just can't buy that time in your legs and things. Like sometimes people go like, oh, just give me a 12-week program and and get me to this level. And you go like, well, it's what you've done the 12 weeks before that and, and six months before that as well. So especially when you start really pushing the limits and and you're talking about um yeah some of the times and you look at the age groupers now and and the pros and it is next level and it comes down to one percenters and not just what you do you know training's a big part of it don't get me wrong but it's the other things as well it's sleep it's nutrition it's um strength and conditioning it's um the mental side of things i, I think it's all that and and to you know, to not focus on one thing and to be well-rounded, I think is super important. And the biggest tip I could give to someone is, is don't, don't try to emulate someone else and, and just, uh, just try to get out of what works for you. Um, look, it's, it's great to listen to pros and listen to podcasts and everything on what people do. But I think if, um, if we focus on other people more than yourself, it's, uh, yeah, it's only going to end up in one way. So I think by focusing on yourself and and really doing um, what works for you is the, is the key to success. Yeah, some pretty sound advice there. I think obviously consistency comes up a lot, but I think you qualified that with you know what that might look like practically. And one big big part of that is is to make it work for you. And then once you've got that consistency, and essentially that's you know part of the basics, then you get into the the details surrounding that um, so you can become that well-rounded athlete. You did touch on mental mental work there. Like, Is there anything specific you do in that regard? Um, I think that's just come from, like I really enjoyed my background in, in, in sports and things like that and team sports. And I think, you know, probably one thing why I got out of team sports was like you can't control what everyone does on the paddock, whereas in triathlon it's um, – it's such a mental game and I think 
you, you can't you can't um teach that i think you just got to have it or you got to you got to sort of uh um hone in on that so um like you know i've had so many people say to me oh how do you ride five hours on the kicker at home because you can just get off and stop whenever and i've gone like well how do you run a marathon like you can stop in a marathon whenever you want to but um you know i think that mental side of things of you know people have different drivers and different forces that motivates them i'm lucky i'm probably self-motivated a lot but i'm motivated by a lot of things too that like people say you can't do um and i and i don't really worry about what people say too much and you know but i'd i'd heaps rather someone say i can't do it then someone pat me on the back and go good job um yeah if 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 you tell me i can't do something it's it's uh it's probably more of a motivation for me than you know, then going to get in my head and, and be a negative thing on my behalf. So, yeah, I, I really love that that mental side of things. And, and you know, I've, I've always trained a lot solo and, and trained a lot like indoors and, and just had to get the work done. I think that really helps out race day and, and even just knowing your own body. You know, you, you see a lot of people look at numbers and, and data and, and, and I used to have a saying that if you, it, if you focus on focus too much on numbers, you become one. And and I think it's just so true that like you hear someone, Hey, oh, I had a great race today. And you go, Oh, well, they go, oh my bike computer didn't work. And I just rode the field and you go, yeah, maybe you should do that more often. But um, yeah, I think we can get so caught up sometimes that yeah, that, that mental side of things. If you uh, um, yeah, I think if you, when you tie up a shoe, you, you don't even think about it, right? Like you just you just tie up your shoelaces. But then if if you think about it, it takes so much more effort. So I just think that when you do something and you don't think about it, and it's just natural, it just um it just becomes a lot more easy. So uh, yeah, I think that's a lot of it with the mental side of things. Ingraining good positive habits, I guess, is you know it's just there's things that you do on a regular basis that they're, they're just normal and that's what you do and then that translates and becomes autonomous come race day yeah exactly like there's some key sessions that i just won't miss and and i know i'll start them and i go like oh maybe just cut it short today if it's a treadmill run or something like that but i think i don't know how many times i've gone into that day and i've gone like yeah i just cut it short but once you warm up and get going, it's just hardest thing to getting going. And once once you get going, I don't think I've ever cut that sh- session short because then when I'm 30k in on a marathon, and you're running side by side with someone, you go like, well, the last 12 weeks you didn't cut one of them run shorts. You've done this session a million times. There's no way known you're gonna pull up now. You've done it in training, so I think that just gives you the confidence um, in yourself. If you've done the work, you you, you sort of you, you don't question yourself race day. Confidence is a big part of that mental resilience as well. Now, I do want to get into some of those key sessions, but you mentioned racing on field. Do you race on field when you're doing an Ironman or a 70.3? Yeah, I still do that. Like I've my uh, I've just recently got a new bike. It's the first time in my career I've had a power meter. Never had a power meter. I obviously use power when I'm on the kicker and, you know, doing strength efforts and SEs and things like that. But, um, you know, I know heart rates and things like that for my runs, but... You know, the only time I've brought um, technology in, it's probably just to back up what I already probably know. Um, prime example was I was probably doing some runs off the bike and people go, oh, you're doing them too quick. And um, we did some lactate testing and got the results back and, and I was bang on. So, like, 
I think it's just you, you know yourself when when your numbers are right and and yeah, like it, don't get me wrong, it's handy to have what's on the bike and it's handy to sort of keep an eye. But I think racing's change. I've always been in that um, position. Fortunately, not the best swimmer, so I can't get out and just you know stick to a number on a bike. I've got to chase, and if you don't chase, you don't get off the bike in the front park and, and you don't run for the win. So yeah, it's just um Ironman used to be conserve and and now it's like in age group racing it's it's just become an all out all in until until the guns goes. You think some of that um yeah sort of not using the data and just going by field, does that come from your your introduction to the sport and sort of that old school mentality of preparing for your first race in the depths of uh and your first Kona in the depths of winter? Or do you think you would have been gravitated towards that approach anyway? Um, you know, it probably just, it does um, stem from like very early on. Like I remember I've done some Port Max and 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 have done okay. And someone will message me after and go, hey, can you just share your, your data and stuff? And I've gone like, oh, I can give you my average speed. And they go, what, what do you mean? And I've gone like, well, I haven't got any data. Like I can tell you this and I can tell you what I ran on the marathon. And they just couldn't believe it. They went like, no way. But um, I just, yeah, as you said, just probably never knew anything better. But then as I've gotten into it and have started to use some of this, it's probably like, it, it's good sometimes just to, to touch in. Like, you know, for instance, like I, I tested some shoes not long ago and I wear Whoop and I, I very rarely, I use the data for that for pretty much REM and deep sleep and how my sleep's going and recovery. And just, if I know I'm getting sick, I can get on top of it early, but it's got heart rate and stuff. And I did some shoe testing on the treadmill and I'll just go like, Oh, I know which ones I'm going to use here. These ones are heaps better. And when I got off and looked at it, I ran at the same pace, same distance, same incline. And my heart, heart rate was five to 10 beats different in a different pair of shoes. And I've gone like, but I, I knew that from feel, but it was just good to have that there to back it up. But it's um that's all it really probably is to me a lot of the time is just backing up what you sort of know and and don't get me wrong I'm, I'm, I'm probably lucky that I can do that and and I don't suggest it for everyone but by all means like people need data especially if you're doing your first one you might need to stick to certain watts and um but yeah I just find that there is a lot of discrepancies in power meters and gigawatts to outside and I just think sometimes we can undersell ourselves if we're just always looking at numbers yeah, so I think you're at the level now where you're you're racing and you're racing to win. So you're not using your heart rate or your power or your pace. You're just doing what you have to do to get towards the front of the race. But you mentioned a couple of times you had conserve for that first Ironman. So how did you do that? Was that only on feel, or did you use some of the data? Was it was it pace? Was it heart rate? In that in those first couple of Ironmans to make sure you were conserving and could get through the day. Yeah, it was mainly probably just pace on the bike. Um, it was a big one, and just and nutrition. Like it was just conserve and like fuel, and it was more just out of like the unknown. Like I, I, I think that first Ironman, I don't think I'd run over thirty-two kilometers, and you know, and and you're running a forty-two kilometer marathon. Like still to this day, I've never run a standalone forty-two k marathon unless it's off the bike. Um, I've never run probably anything over thirty-six k's in training um so yeah just little things like that with that first one it was just the, the unknown more than anything but i just would err on the side of caution you know um i'd really spin the legs up the hill and and um on the run i wouldn't set out too hard where 
you know, it gets to the point now where I think a lot of the time you've just got to try things and, and, you know, whether that is go out a little bit harder on the run and people say you could blow or, you know, you could get further down the road before anything happens or, but you just don't know unless you try. And and I think that come out from, from I've done a few 70.3s where I haven't worn a watch and probably have some of my best runs and stuff because I wasn't looking at it because probably I was, you know, running a pace where I would have gone like, oh, I better back it off. But I just didn't that day and, and ended up having a pretty good run. So yeah, it's interesting. That's where I just think sometimes numbers can hold us back a little bit. But um, there is, as I said, there is definitely a place for it, especially in um, the beginning. But, um, yeah, I think it's all in moderation. Definitely. All right, so Friday is preparing for a key race. We've, we've started getting into some of this now, so may as well roll into this. So you can pick whether it's an Ironman or a 70.3. What does what does your race prep look like? Talk us through your swim, your bike, your run, your frequency, your volume, your weekly totals, intensity distribution, all of those things. Yeah, right. I, well, I'll do it for an Ironman because I don't think I've really ever tried to peak for a seventy point three. They've always been lead up races, as in gone in fatigued or under training load for an Ironman. So um, it it can vary. Like it's I've probably got a non negotiable from twelve weeks out where um everything is sort of pretty much planned. I still to this day don't write down on training peaks. I couldn't tell you what I did last week. Like I could tell you off the top of my head from knowing, but I don't write anything down. Um, I sort of just know what I need to do eight weeks out. I know where I need to be running. Um, I'll focus different things as well. So like I'll have some build phases where, you know, at the start you'll really build the, the swim bike volume up, get that aerobic base and then um, bring up the run volume then you might have another bit of a go at a heavy bike block for a few weeks. And then the last sort of eight weeks is really honing the run. So, you know, the key sessions off the bike and stuff, but say we're coming into, you know, the peak last sort of five weeks out from an Ironman, it can be anything from, um, it's probably mainly three sessions a day, um, Sometimes maybe only two, but um, I'll have a recovery. I call it a recovery day on a Monday. The boys probably always get into me. That's not really a recovery day, but you know, you'd probably start out with a, um, a recovery ride. But even at that point, I think, you know, you used to be able to get away with age group racing to do one long ride a week. Now I think, you know, if, if you're not doing 500 Ks, it's, it's sort of pretty hard to compete, especially on an international level. But, you know, a Monday um, ride, I do swim squad and then maybe some strength. Um, I'm a big fan of like reformer Pilates. I think it's really good for activating glutes, which is as triathletes, a lot of us don't do on the bike um, and even on the run. So by doing some of these Pilates and strengthening up the other muscles is really good. Um, Tuesday, I'd um, do another hard. Uh, you, you've probably experienced it up here, the, the, the Tuesday, Tuesday bunch ride up here. Uh, it's normally around 50 Ks and then I'd, I'd go do extra, bring it out to a hundred and come home and do probably a hard run off 10 Ks um, at 70.3 pace. And then obviously off to work and, and might try to get a session in the afternoon, even if it's a double run or um, just an easy one in the afternoon. Wednesday would be, a, a, I'd do a key um, session on the treadmill, uh, which would be a drop down run, something like a, a 20, 20, 20 drop down run. Um, I'd do that early and then off the swim squad, 
squads are normally around four and a half, five K just depending. And then Wednesday afternoon could just be just some mobility or some strength worth being work. I, I like doing a lot of glute and, um, and being activation work as well. Um, Thursday, it just depends. Sometimes it, if it's a really, really key race like Kona, um, I think to be competitive these days, you sometimes in, instead of having four weeks off holiday, you, you have a, a, week, a day off during the week and Thursday might be that long, um, long brick session as well. So like a long ride with a, a runoff at Ironman pace um, if you can get the day off work. Um, and then Friday would just be a swim squad, um, easy ride or a, a bit of a build run in the afternoon. And then Saturday would be your key long, long bike session with runoff. Generally like to do milers off the bike. Um, there's a bit of a key road up here in Noosa that we do them. Um, just know what I need to sort of hit, uh, you know, four, five, six weeks out from a race and how many I'll build them up. And then Sunday would be long run, um, swim around lunchtime on a Sunday afternoon, and then even possibly another run in the afternoon if time permits, just depending on whether you're in a run volume block or if you're more working on the bike. But, yeah, anywhere from 20 to 30 hours. But if you add in there stretching, mobility, gym work, everything else, you'd be definitely up around that 30-hour mark. All right, that's that's what we're here for. Thanks for sharing that. That's that's awesome. Little insight into into your life. So we've got at least twelve weeks out, maybe a little bit longer, if it's an an Ironman. But you know, twelve to sixteen weeks out. Um, first half of that is focusing on getting the volume up, but in that last eight weeks, that's where you bring the running in. Yeah, uh, we're looking at yeah, at least twenty, closer to thirty hours some weeks, and yeah, obviously you went right through the the breakdown of some of those sessions. Can you just give us one key session for each, um, so swim, bike, and run? Like you've touched on it, but like go right into the specifics and the details of, you know, when you say a long run or a long ride or you, you say you're doing um, the milers, like what pace are you doing? So just go in the details for, for swim, bike, and run yeah, through I've that heard, phase. It, it does vary a fair bit. And, um, and, yeah, even looking at this, sometimes you go like, oh, why would you do that? And But there is sometimes method to the madness but i think like you know one key session on a saturday would be you know um 170 180k ride where you've probably got two or three one hour just ironman paced efforts where you're just like in tt position practicing race nutrition just not a lot of junk miles just you know you get in get it done um straight off onto the run well i build them up so like this is where i just urge people to um yeah, take it with a grain of salt and all this kind of stuff. You can really, um, you know, it takes a long time to build into it or, you know, to get to it. But like, you know, some of these sessions I was probably, you know, getting eight, 10 milers off the bike and I could be doing them at, um, I'd normally leave on the seven minutes. So I'd get a bit of a rest. Sometimes I'd go a bit quicker when, when they got, really quick i'd go a little bit quicker because i was getting too much rest so maybe on like 6 30 and then that'd be anywhere from you know three three thirty-five pace to like late three thirty pace down to three fifteens if i was really moving um and then yeah i would say so that would sometimes be anywhere from a 
a 12 to a possibly 18k run off the bike just hard milers but the key to that session is they would not vary if i did one at that first pace i would do all eight or 10 at that pace if i if i couldn't hold that pace at that time i wouldn't do it so i wouldn't go out and do say the first three at 315 and then blow out and do the rest at 330 if i was only in 330 shape i'd do 10 at 330 so i think just a consistency on that one is key so as i said it just depends on where i was in the build with that so that's probably the key run session off the bike key bike session would be i just really like strength and endurance efforts se's i think it's just a staple that every athlete should do and look and they can be anywhere from uh, they vary as well so like you know you stock standard four by five minutes big gear you'd go five minutes on and, and maybe a minute or two recovery. I like doing them on the kicker because you don't have to ride back down the hill. That can be controlled. You can focus on technique and really get out of it what you need. Um, and, you know, that can range from 55 cadence if you're just starting out down to I, th- I believe you can get to 40 cadence and really work it as a strength session if you've have built up the the tolerance and the strength to be able to do that without risking injury. Um, and then with this, with the swim, I think my main aim is like, if I can generally hit three squads a week and, you know, that's a, a, a bulk volume of 15 K a week. And then I add in a couple on the weekend and anywhere from 15 to 20 K a week in a key block, that's when you know you're swimming well. So I don't think it's about one key session on a swim. I just think it's about consistent. Like up here, we, you know, you might do speed on Monday, Wednesday might be more strength based where it's towers or bands and paddles. And then Friday might be more endurance where you're adding in 400s and stuff. And, yeah, so I think that's just more about consistency in the pool um, over over the week. Oh, and are any of those your go-tos? You mentioned a couple of go-tos as well. Uh, would, would Have you covered those off in, in the previous answer? Um, yeah, as in, yeah, like the milers, I wouldn't do a prep without milers off the bike. Yeah. And, and without that run, I just think it's um, a key go-to um strength and endurance session i I wouldn't yeah um go into a a training block without doing those and probably even just things like um i love using the treadmill in a block as well because when you're running anywhere from 80 to 100 k's a week i think to do that fast leg turnover on a treadmill a little bit of resistance still have it on level one to simulate being outside but um you know for things like you know you do that because we're jammed with time and you got to go to work, you, you know, you'd love to do that session, have a few hours off and then go to the pool. But I literally do that session, come inside, shower, breakfast, and I'm at the pool within an hour and, and doing a 5K swim set. So um, I just think that's where it's super valuable to have tools like treadmills. And and as age groupers, we just need to be smarter because we just can't handle, oh, we just don't get the recovery time that obviously some pro or elite people have got that can, you know, don't have to go to work. Yeah, and talk to us about the milers now. Um, you, you're running them pretty quick, obviously, um, and that's that's clearly not your Ironman race pace. So what's the premise for that? You obviously, you've done a long ride and you're running off the bike, so that's specific, but the intensity of those is, um, you know, not the, not the pace you're running on race day. So what's the premise there? Are you looking for a, a different stimulus? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then... Normally, you've got a seventy point three in the lead up to a um into an Ironman, so you you don't want to be just a diesel engine. I think you need to bring speed into it. And um, 
and even for that, like I suppose it, you sort of you start to know your body, and then when you can run aerobically, then at four minute k pace, and and it feels comfortable, and actually to go anything slower, it actually starts to it hurts or <laughs> it's harder. Um, that's when you know that obviously they're working. So like obviously you you know I think that my my best run off the bike is you know it's not super quick but it was like a, a two two fifty one or two fifty two or something so that, that's around four minute k pace so once you get into an Ironman and you've ridden 180 k's you know to hold four minute k pace and and to feel comfortable in an Ironman I think you know you, you, you can't just go out there and train at four minute k pace and, and do those efforts at four minute k pace because you're just not going to get that adaptation to, to be able to hold that pace. So I think you do need to do overspeed work and yeah, the more you do it, the just more resilient you become. And, and I think that time can just come down and down on the, uh, on the marathon. Yep. Fair enough. And then, so the long run following on from that question, your long run, does that feature any race pace? Like how are you managing that? Is it just a feeling or is it a pace? Do you try and run it slower or do you do you incorporate some of that four-minute per K pace type yeah, work for sure. into those long runs? Yeah, for sure. That definitely does get mixed up a little bit. If I've done um, a lot of speed, the day, like especially faster speed like um, milers, I think it's important to keep that one slow. Um, but there is times where that run off the bike might change on a Saturday and it's just a consistent four-minute K pace run off the bike. So the next day you can do some speed. And, yeah, it's, it's nothing to, you know, to – to bring some speed into that long run where, you know, you might back end it. And once you're warmed up, you, you, you drop it down and drop it by 30 seconds and you drop it again. And, and then you finish off at like a 70.3 race pace for the last 20 minutes or something just to build that back end speed. So there's definitely um, times for that longer fast run, but then I think there's definitely times to slow that long run down. That's, it's where a long, a lot of people um, can mess up and, and probably try to run too fast all the time on, but um, long, slow distance runs. So important for just strength in the legs. I think for, for, for myself anyway, um, as I said, people could be different, but um, you know, like you, you don't want to read into too much to what people are doing, but yet you even see like the Kenyans and, and whatnot. And some of their long run stuff is, is still super slow, but then, you know, on a Thursday, they do a, a 40 K run and it might be at 305 pace. So, you know, there, there is time and, and, and and specifics for everything but yeah the super long run is um it's also important at a slow pace yeah so you obviously do a fair bit of volume you've mentioned 15 to 20k a week swimming you mentioned the 500k on the bike and 80 to 100k running but if anyone's seen your instagram you, you look fit you look strong um what and you've mentioned strength training a little bit so tell us how you incorporate that yeah i, I try i don't do a a heap, but I like I'll just do a um a lot of my own stuff, whether it's band work, a little bit of kettlebells. But when I say kettlebells, it's more for like core, lower back, uh, leg strength. Um, I'll try to get to the gym in preps because I just know that like if your core and lower back's not strong, it doesn't matter how quick you're running, you can have issues. Um, and that's one of my issues before. Um, Roth, I just couldn't get into the gym because of my injuries and my lower back was just really bad on race day. But um. I suppose I'm. Oh, some people say lucky. I'm trying to lose it. I, I remember the the gym I used to work at. My boss used to say I'm the only guy in the gym that was out there trying to lose muscle mass, where everyone else was trying to gain it. But um, from my footy days, I've had bad shoulders. I've obviously 
separated shoulders, had grade three tears of the AC, AC joint. And, um, and yeah, so like I could pop my shoulder out in my sleep sometimes. So I had to be in the gym and I would love to not be probably um, as like it affects my swimming, obviously shoulders and, and, and size and things. But um, yeah, look, it, it's certainly handy for endurance athletes to have muscle mass and, and strength and whatnot. But um, yeah, I don't think it's something I focus. People would probably be surprised on what I do do. I don't do really arm weights or anything like that. It's more band work for swim activation and I don't lift heavy. I don't go and squat crazy um, weights or anything like that. It's more just about mobility and activation and trying to get the right muscles firing. We used to have a good uh, saying in the gym that someone will go, what should I train today? And, and the guys just say, go out and look in the mirror and train every muscle you can't see because it's what everyone forgets. And, you know, people go like, oh, I want to ride stronger. I'm going to train quads. But, you know, if you if your quads go out because your other muscles aren't strong around it, well, what's the point of having strong quads? So, you know, it's it's all the little work. So you know, a lot of boastful ball work where it's um, one-legged things and and um, and more about stability and activation of those smaller muscles around is i think more important than the than the uh big heavy weights makes sense so do you you obviously do a lot you you could do a lot of training juggle a few different roles in work life what about a day in the life like tell us a little bit about your wake time your bedtime your training times how much you're eating and you know how, how you manage all that to to be able to sustain it all yeah, for sure. I'm probably not the best example of this. Like uh, my partner's a dietitian, done a, a master's in dietetics and she always says, don't tell people what you eat because you don't feel enough and you don't <laughs> eat enough. And, um, but, um, and like those volumes, you know, it's obviously not sustainable. It's, it's very hard to do 500k bike weeks and hundred K run weeks. It wouldn't always happen like that. Like, you know, you, you'd have a, a run focus week or a bike focus week, but, um, yeah, look, in an Ironman block, it's I take my hat off to people with kids and family and busy, busy work schedules. Um, my day, I'm, I'm sort of, depending on, at the moment, it's probably not super early, maybe quarter to five or 5 a.m. up and, and you know, you get a couple of sessions in before going to work but and then a session in the afternoon after work. And But I'm generally in bed. Look, since coming back from Europe, I've probably really realised how much I do need sleep and and it's nothing for me to be in bed some nights at eight o'clock. And um, yeah, I never used to do that. I never used to finish work till eight o'clock at night. So I wouldn't be going to bed till 10 o'clock. And I just don't know how I used to um, process on just six hours sleep. But I found now with the whoop technology and just looking at the sleep and my recovery, I do actually perform better when I sleep more and REM and deep sleep, um, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's super important to me now and things with like, you know, micronutrients and pillar performance with magnesium and this kind of stuff to help you sleep. I just think it's um it's definitely game changers. And these are the one percenters that I, I think um I, I think you know separates separates it when you want to have a good race or you have something go wrong. Like, you know, say if you're up at 5 a.m. you get two sessions in, then you go to work, then you come home, you quickly get changed, you have another session. Um, you do some stretching and mobility, you have dinner and you turn the TV on for 20 minutes and you go like, I'm going to bed. So it's, as I said, it's not sustainable all the time. And, and it's, um, 
but it's it's definitely up here. You, you, you tend to get a fair bit out of out of the day when you're up so early that it's in summer. It's the sun's up at four a.m. here, so it's super good for training. And um, but it's nothing for me to like even um, on those swim squad days and stuff. I'll I'll run. I'll come inside quickly, have breakfast. I'll make a protein shake, or just not a protein, but just a a shake that I'd have ready for after swim squad. And I'd have that on the way to work. Then you'd work and you come home. It's like every little minute is timed and done. But I think with nutrition, it's more about, you know, I think when you talk diets or fads or high carb, low carb, all this kind of stuff, I just think it's about fueling for the work required. So it would change from day to day. Like if, if I knew I had a big session and it was a Friday night, I'd fuel for it and think about the session. And I try to instill this in some of my athletes it's when you do the session, you go, oh, I'm underfueled. It's too late. You know, you can have a gel and stuff like that, but the session can be compromised. So if you're thinking about on the Friday night, okay, I've got a big brick, I'm running off, and then I want to swim, recovery swim in the afternoon, you just have to have the food ready and available and, and have it that night before. And and even to the point where you get home from a ride and, and a runoff and you know, your smoke, you don't want to be sitting there cooking something. So I'll make sure that there's something cooked. So all I do is head it up in the microwave and I can eat it. And half the time I'm force feeding myself. I don't want to eat it. Um, I don't feel like it, but I just know that if I want to run long on Sunday and I don't eat, it's I'm just not going to feel good. So yeah, when you get into that mode where it's just out from a, a triathlon, I think it's more about, it's just a process really. It's it's You sort of just get into that mindset of you do what's required and 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 that's it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you just got to be organised and purposeful with everything you're doing. So yeah, yeah, especially with age group. Like as I said, like you know, it's, it'd be lovely to come home from the pool and sit on the lounge in the normal tech boots and and cook up something. But you know, when you you go to work, this is when you can miss it. And you know, if you sit at work for four hours and you don't have something to eat, well, the damage can be done. You know, you you need to get that fueling straight after the session, especially the key sessions, to absorb the work. Yep. Good advice for sure. All right, let's um, let's change direction there a little bit and try and do a couple of rapid fires. Right, favorite session? Um, probably the Saturday brick session. It's the toughest, but yeah, I, I don't mind going to the hurt locker every now and then. Yeah, that's pretty clear. I think uh, least favorite session. Um, I'd used to say swimming, but I actually enjoy it up here. As as we spoke about before, you've been up here and experienced it. It used to be in a twenty five meter indoor pool, smelling of chlorine for the rest of the day. But now um, it's up here at the at the lovely knack, and it's a good start to the day. So I probably don't have a session that I don't really uh, enjoy, which is a good thing at the moment. Yeah, I think when you're training thirty hours a week, it'll be pretty tedious if you didn't enjoy most of what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most epic session do you have like really one really big standout whether it's like a really long ride or a really big session where you either felt really really good or it was just really tough but you got through it anyway yeah i I suppose that one before roth where um you know like i the week before i think the accident happened on tuesday i couldn't really do i think i spun easy on the on the um kicker that saturday and then the following saturday i just went like I had everything booked and everything done and it was just sort of make a break and go, I'm just going to go out and test it. And yeah, I think I, I rode 170 K and went down and I just had in my mind that if I don't do 10 miles off the bike, you're not going to Roth. And 
you got to do 10 milers off the bike at 3.30 pace. And, you know, a week earlier, I was in a sling and icing my knee that was the size of a <laughs> balloon and thinking that my day was done. And, you know, I, I was in in the, in pain after it. It was probably about four o'clock that afternoon and I'm sitting there going, like, what have I done? But, yeah, to get through that session, it sort of just shows that, um, yeah, you got to have the mentality there just as much as the as phys- physical capability. Yeah, so the context of that is it's actually one of your standard Saturday sessions, but the fact that you've been knocked off a bike, knocked off your bike like a week or two earlier, that's what made it epic. Yeah, I, I think the um, the sports doc said to me, he goes, oh, if you go to Roth, it would be for a finishes medal. And he goes, I don't take you for that kind of a guy. And and I think that was just a spark I needed. When, <laughs> when he said that to me, I went like, radio. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go to Roth and I'm going to go sub nine and, and I'm going to still do it justice. But um, yeah, anyway, it still wasn't, well, it wasn't what we went for, but yeah, we'll, we'll cop it. Now, you know, you mentioned you're not big on the gadgets and the technology and you're not a Strava or anything like that. What is your favorite bit of kit? Um, as in gear, I, I suppose. Yeah. Like I, I'm not, a, not a massive one for technology, but I love, um, uh, I probably just bikes and shoes. Um, I love like, you know, the, the Nike alpha flyers and things. It was, um, it's a bit disappointing that you can't get the ones anymore. If anyone's out there, got any contacts and knows where you can get the ones, let me know. But, um, uh, I think they've played around with them a little bit now with the, the new models, but, um, yeah, I love testing out just the shoes, not to the point where I'd like, you know, test out different tires and all that. I'm not that into it, but I just love a, a, a good, clean, quick bike and, and um, yeah, it's just when you got the race wheels on and the disc and all that kind of stuff. It's um, it's certainly, yeah, it makes you feel fast when when you got the good equipment. All right, and then if you had to boil it down from all your experience for say top three tips for other age groupers, what would you be? One, two, and three. Um, in no particular order. I'd, um, I don't want to sound boring. I'll try to mix them up a little bit, but obviously consistency is a big one. Um, it's just, yeah, that's that's my biggest tip. If someone said like, um, what could you not do without in an Ironman prep? And like, if you got sick or something like that, like that's why I try everything to not get sick. I try everything to not get injured. I keep mobility up because if you lose consistency, you're just losing momentum. So that's probably the biggest one. Um, another one I try to do every sort of prep. I sort of go by this mentality, but I love a quote that was like, um, I'm not too sure who said it, but it's um, to get something you never had, you have to do something you never did. And I think I try to instill that in every prep, um, whether it's, you know, go, going to bed an hour earlier, um, you know, focusing on your nutrition, um, doing more mobility, not doing, um, not skipping that gym session that sort of thing. So I think if you can bring that into your session um, um, in in every prep, I just think that's a really good one to, to go by. And I suppose the biggest one I sort of live by, um, I've, I've never, uh, and I don't know, like I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but I've never gone into the race looking at the competition or looking at race starts or who's on the line or anything like that. I just think that 
if you know, no one can have higher expectations than yourself. So why would you worry about what someone else is doing? Like in this day and age, there's so much social media, there's so much pressure, there's so much advice and so many people doing this and doing that. And, and, and I love all that advice, but I think take it all with a grain of salt. And at the end of the day, do what works for you. And, you know, just because someone's doing it doesn't mean it's right. Um, by all means, test it, try it, but, um, find find what works for you and you know someone will say like oh but what about if this guy was going to be here and he did this and you go like well if you have high expectations on yourself and and you can meet those expectations if someone's going to beat you on the day well they probably deserve it so I think um, if you have high expectations and and don't let yourself down well um, that's the main thing so yeah just keep your eyes on yourself and and don't worry about what the competition's doing. Very good. All right. Before we wrap up, I might just touch on a few hot topics with you because I know you have some strong but well thought out views on this. Now, we already know the answer, but the, Kona versus Nice and why? So we know obviously your preference would be Kona. You've got a long history there, but can you tell us, a, you know, just give us a little bit of an insight into into your thoughts around that and, and maybe, you know, what, what the solutions are. Like if they yeah. asked Fryzy, yeah. like how they solve this, like how do you, how do you sort of bring it back? Um yeah, what will you be suggesting? Yeah, I, I suppose it just comes back to um, uh, there's just some things with tradition and, you know, like I think if, and, and not that it comes down to stigma or prestige or anything like that, but um, if you talk about tennis, everyone knows about Wimbledon. If you talk about cycling, everyone talks about the Tour de France. I think we're a very unique opportunity in our sport where someone talks about um um, oh, you did triathlon, have you done Kona? And the fact that everyone can do Kona on the same day, on the same stage, male or female, age group or pro, um, it's just something that's very unique to our sport. There's no other sport. Like, yes, you can say marathons, probably about the only other one, but you're not running next to Kipchoge. You know, like they've got a different wave. They're done before you sort of finish. And, you know, but um, I've got mates who play AFL and, you know, it, it, it's amazing that everyone goes and watches them. But to say you can sit there and you, you line up next to someone, you, you test themselves on the same course, on the same day, the same wind conditions, um, it's it's just so unique and it's something that will never be emulated at any other sport. You, you're not going to play a day with Roger Federer in doubles at Wimbledon. It just won't happen. But, um, yeah, that's something that we've got that no one else has got. And I think by separating it, and by, I think if you ask majority of people, I understand why they did it at the start. And, but I think now they've got to listen to the majority and, you know, in the position I'm at with um, some teams that we look after and all these kind of things. And, and, you know, the, the people that they're saying that they changed it for want the same one day thing, that they want everyone there on the same day. Kona is Kona because it was hard to get there. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And, they, you know, like there, there is, positions set up for legacy and for the people that do want to experience it that may never get to experience it and that's sad because because like you know maybe they just missed out or something like that but there is that opportunity as a legacy athlete to get there so i believe that there is opportunity for everyone to get there so that, so that's good but i just think it's it needs to be the one day it needs to be everyone on the same course and and celebrating everyone not just one gender one day yeah, I think it should be everyone together. 
All right, and then a similar question for the rolling versus the wave start. So I guess this, we touched on this right at the top of the podcast when we were talking about Roth and having a separate wave. Now, most Ironman branded races are now that rolling start. Um, yeah, pros and cons to each approach. Um, do you think there should be elite age group waves like there is the sub nine wave in Roth? Just talk to us a little bit about that. And again, solutions that you think, again, if they consulted Frizy, what solution <laughs> would you be providing? Yeah, look, I, I don't think they'd care what I'd say, but um, <laughs> I think um, it, it's definitely it's it's definitely a good thing. I think there's a lot of age groupers have just changed so much now. Like it is an elite sport. Like, you know, it, it's gone from someone working 40 hours a week and, you know, there's people having and, and, and good, good on them too. Like, you know, they've got themselves to the situation where they might have a six, eight week training camp in the mountains and then going to a race. Like it's elite now. So have an elite category. Um, if those people want to forego, you know, going to the 70.3 worlds, but, but race for, and I think it's good for emerging pros too. Look, it's such a big jump for a, a, a good age group to go to the pros. Our pros are such high level now that, you know, it's hard for them too to gain sponsors and things. So I think if you've got an elite age group where you can celebrate those people, they can make the step up to pros a little bit easier. The ones that don't want to go up to pro can just stay there. And then you've got the age groupers too. So they've still got those people that want to finish on the podium and happy to do that. I think it's, um, I think our sports evolved enough now that, you know, back in the day to get on the podium was really good. But for a lot of people now, it's just it's just out of reach. So, you know, to have those other guys that can have like a sub a sub elite is just um, – and I think it will make it safer on the course too. Like if you get those other guys out of the road, you know, no one wants to see these really fast age groupers swimming through a slower or an older age group and, and making someone's experience out there less enjoyable. So I think it will work for everyone if they can just time it right and – and send the guys off that want to race together and and then the age group is off together as well. So I think there's definitely room in it for the sport. Um, yeah, and if it's about, you know, um, dragging out the wave starts and stuff like that, we should just limit numbers. I know it's all about money and getting enough on course, but we've seen recently what too many on course can do. So I think it's time to sort of look at safety and and that sort of thing with, with Ironman events. So you think go back to the wave starts and as part of that have a sort of an elite age grouper wave as part of those wave starts? Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, we've done the mass starts and that as well. And, you know, that's you know, that's one way to look at it. And then everyone's on the same level, but then you've got to remember there's probably people doing their f- first ones as well. And and I've experienced the wave starts, uh, the mass starts, and it is pretty daunting. So, yeah, look, I think Jack spoke to it a fair bit on his podcast there with Andrew Messick and the reason why they don't do it in Kona and, and I know it comes down to money and time and road closures and things, but yeah, I I don't think it's an easy one, but I just think that um, even if you don't like, I think all all Ironman events now are pretty much um, like the, just the rolling starts, but I think you could probably still do that and have an elite, an elite start with like, like what you do for the pro men 10, 15 minutes behind the women so they don't affect the women's race. And then they're not in the age group race. They're just in the, the say, elite age group race and you let them go off and then everyone else can filter in after that. I think that's that that, that could work. Yep. And would you put yourself in that elite age group wave or you would stay in your age category? Yeah, no, no. Like, oh, If I was competitive, um, I'd go in that 
I'd go on that wave. Like, yeah, it, like I don't really care about, um, you know, age group, like without saying the wrong thing, like um, age group side of things and, and stuff. Like if there was an opportunity to do that and you could be competitive and it was, yeah, yeah, I would I'd definitely do that. Like I, I've had a race before where, you know, you cross the line first, you think you won the race outright and someone started 10 minutes behind and, and finished 40, 30 seconds or so quicker than you. And I think it can just change the race too because I can get in different bike groups, that sort of thing. So when you've got age groupers racing for overall titles and things, I think they all need to be going off at the same um, the same wave. Yep. Yeah, good point. And then you you touched on this, but uh, have you ever, obviously some of your results could potentially warrant it. Have you ever considered taking the pro license and taking that step up and, and sort of trying to you know race against these guys? Yeah, look, it's a difficult one. It's um, I suppose my uh, and like and I've changed my mind on this about twenty times. When you hear other people who have done it and haven't done it and and whatnot, but I've always said my definition of a professional athlete is you get paid for what you do. And you know, unfortunately, if you're just at that level where you know you're not earning a good wage from it. You're still an age, you're still an age group of pro anyway. So like you're still working and you can't compete with these guys, but, um, and that's why I think that wave start might be, might be a good option because, um, you know, that's just, that's just how it is. It like, you know, you look at the Norwegians, they eat, breathe and sleep it. And I think these PTO races are great, but they're just going to get, um, more to the next level and more technology, more, um professional and i feel for some of the guys that you know still have to work 25 hours a week and and have families and do this and and it's hard to compete and you know that's just you know where our sport's at and it's great to see it evolve but you know if you look at like a take an afl player you're on the list you you get a set wage as a rookie you get physio you get uh nutrition at the club you get everything paid for massages and 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 you haven't got that pressure there whereas if you've got a young up-and-coming pro who's working and got to pay for physio and you know they've got a race and all of a sudden you, you know they're racing and they're injured and and then they've got six weeks recovery and so they're trying to work and get recovered whereas you know an elite athlete will sit there and get if you're an afl football and you get hurt playing in the game you still get paid you still get free physio you get all the benefits so i think it's very hard for um professional triathletes unfortunately i don't think our sport's there yet where the money is and you know whether that comes down to just interest and obviously you know gambling and and betting and afl and rugby league and all these sports horse racing of it's a massive turnover where unfortunately triathlon don't but um yeah i just find it's it's very hard to to commit wholly and solely to something where it's just not giving you those rewards so yeah look i'd love to but yeah i suppose the short answer is i don't i don't think i'd be good enough to to compete with these these guys and and you know it's a brutal tough sport to to get into and i take my certainly take my hats off to everyone out there who's having a red hot crack at it yeah agreed it's definitely a tough sport well i think i've i think we've been talking for long enough so i just want to ask one final question just just leave us with what drives and motivates you into the future after you've been in the sport for so long, you've traveled the world racing, you obviously achieved quite a bit in the sport. Like what, what keeps you going? What, what gets you up at 
five o'clock in the morning and what keeps you doing those big 30-hour training weeks? Um, yeah, I ask myself this a fair bit, especially recently. <laughs> but um, I, I suppose it's just that um, drive to get better when you can still see that glimmer of, um, you know, you haven't quite nailed it or, you know, there is that certain allure of a race or something. I think that's always there and that's just that competitive nature. But, um, yeah, and, you know, things like, you know, if, if someone said you can't do it, it sort of drives you on a little bit more. But I've always got that in the back of the mind. But I, I just think that um, I, I said that when I start to get slower, I, I definitely look at probably hanging them up. But I think I've still got a race in me that I can um, go better than my than my previous best. So, yeah, while well, I've still got that desire, I'll give it a crack. And I suppose the next bad race, we'll, we'll have to rethink it. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's more to come, which is which is cool. I'll I'll certainly be watching to see what what more can be achieved. Fryzy, thank you. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're busy. It's been good to get to know you over the last couple of months. And when I started this podcast, this was the type of conversation I was looking forward to having. So, thanks again, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. No, thank you, and uh, appreciate what you're doing, especially for the age groupers in the sport. I think it's uh, a great thing, and um, yeah, yourself with your coaching and and to do this podcast, you're obviously very busy yourself, but I think it's a great um, attribute for age groupers to be able to listen, not to me, but to the other guys on here and and really take some knowledge away because I think it's um, it can be certainly valuable to, um, to get like-minded people on the podcast. Yeah, appreciate that, and uh, I, I definitely, for what it's worth, I think there's There'll be a lot of value for a lot of people in listening to this one. So let's uh, let's hope it gets out to lots of lots of listeners. Thanks again. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach and fan of the sport, I've always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.